Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. Where yeah, no, you don't have to put them on. We, uh, they don't work properly. Okay. Yeah, we David's, need to get that fixed. I keep forgetting. Yeah, David's got to get that fixed. I think it's something in the board itself. I've switched adapters. Those are different I know adapters. You can hear yourself, but we can't hear. Because you're like, I said okay. that I don't think it's the adapters. It's, it's got the adapters. I switched adapters. Those are not the same. Adap- Junky adapters. The other ones are different adapters. Is this something wrong with my board? Must be. It's probably because you keep packing it with your luggage. It's full of your pocket lamp. <laughs> Make sure he's in a position here. He's in position. Yeah. Is this in my, in my space-wise? I want it to be able to see you more instead of having to... There. You want to be able to see him? Yeah, I don't know why you want to do that. Also, uh, sli- you want to you be like... A, like like, the, like yeah. this, right? There you go. All right. Yeah. Eyeball to eyeball. Is everything good? Everything is fantastic, David. You're recording, aren't you? Yes. So, uh, Murray Voth, how you doing? Oh, you finally remembered to do it. Well, it's our first, second, second one. I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Awesome. Hey, if you're listening to this, last week's podcast was on with Rick White from 180 (laughs) Bits. <laughs> we didn't, did we? You're such a jerk. Oh, uh, we're terrible at this. Terrible. You know what we should do? You should hire people some, to do this. You should take <laughs> some lessons from some people. Lessons? Well, you guys you think are I like, need a podcast you guys, coach. You guys are like have all the toys. We do. Like you got more colored buttons than I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So, it? so does the toys make this a podcast, or does the people make the podcast? Uh, it's probably half and half. It's half and half. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I will say, even if you had really good equipment and terrible, terrible guests, because it's not us. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about if I be your best guest today? Let's do it. All right. Hey, you you brought up a really cool topic yesterday. Are we going to do that one? Let's do Can it. You remind me what it is. No, because I forgot. Hey, hey, <laughs> introduce Mary uh, Murray Vaugh. RPM training. RPM training. Yep. Oh, you know what it stands for? What? Results, performance, and mastery. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Pretty good brand. For sure. Nice. Great changing, White North. Changing the industry. Yeah, Great White North. Changing the industry one shop owner at a time. How do you feel uh, about the heaters outside in front of the casinos when it's 55, 60 degrees? People are wimps down here. <laughs> I, I Look, I agree with you. I'm not going to say I don't. Like, right. I completely like, agree. This is crazy. Like, I'm hot down yeah, here. Yeah, dude. 
and everybody else is in jackets, the locals, right? Well, you know, whatever. It's their, it's their climate. They're, that's what they're acclimatized to. Hey, listen. Is it as dry where you're? Are you on the so, West Coast? So Canada, East Coast? Well, I'm, I'm four hours east of the West Coast. So I, most of my life's been in Vancouver. That's where my wife's from. I was actually born in the prairies. Very cold. Uh, followed her, met her in college, followed her to the West Coast. 42 years later. Do you have prairies or is it like tundra? No, no, we have prairies. They're like just like the- North Dakota, Manitoba, Saskatchewan. It's just oh, like okay. all of that. It just yeah. keeps going further north. Yeah. So you guys got to come up there and actually get a we visual. Did, I, I mean, we don't call North Dakota the prairies. We, we call that cold. It's just cold up there. <laughs> yeah. But well, uh, cold and oil. So if you anybody listening is from Washington State or knows Washington State, if you go east Washington State, like Yakima area, all of that. It's quite dry, deserty. We're just north. I just live north of that. Gotcha. So it's, and it's really hot and dry in the summer, which I love. Ponderosa pines, a whole bit. The winter, it's cold and dry and can be very snowy. But I bought a snowblower first time in my life, a couple of years. Actually, you know what? I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Yeah, I'm allowed to say this. So my first course I ever taught at Apex, yeah, 2019, you get a small honorarium for teaching. Right. Uh, they're very generous, like with your travel costs. I don't do it for the honorarium. I do it to serve the industry, but they cover your costs, a little honorarium. I bought my snowblower with that honorarium because it was U.S. dollars, and when I converted to Canadian dollars, I... You were rich. I was rich. <laughs> right? Uh, retire on this. How much did they pay you? $500? Dollar? Well, yeah, we can convert it to Canadian. Exactly, <laughs> right? So it's double it. million Canadian dollars. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. We, we've talked a little bit about trying to do something in Canada at some point because yeah. of Jeff. Jeff really wants to do something. Yeah. Um, and, and we actually did an episode with Jeff a while back where I read your message to me where we were talking about the fact that Canada is a very, very different animal when it comes yeah. to training. Yeah. Why is that? What, what's different about it? I, I would say Canadians are a bit more skeptical when it comes to spending money. Um, I find Americans in general, but let's go with shop owners. um, Even the ones that aren't even that necessarily progressive are okay spending money on training or equipment, especially technical training and stuff like that. Uh, Canadians are a little tighter with their dollars. Um, Like these are really generalizations, right? Yeah. Um, We're such a broad nation. Like we have less people in all of Canada. We have more landmass than you guys. We have less people than California. That's crazy. So we're really packed and tight in California, right? So we're not packed and tight. So that means that we're hours of flights or hours of driving away. I mean, I listen to you guys' podcasts and, you know, like you're in Virginia one day and Kentucky the next day and Florida the next day. And we're just like, that blows our minds. Like, yeah. That, you know, well, I mean, we have, have planes. We don't have to travel by well, reindeer. We, we have airplanes too, but. <laughs> Did you hear him say that you didn't have to travel by reindeer? You heard that, right? (laughs) By radio. I mean, look, and I I mean, here's the thing is I'm talking to Jeff about it, and Jeff is saying, well, hey, like where I'm at, there's lots of people in lots of shops. And and supposedly, and I've looked at pictures, right? Because I've always, like when I talk to somebody and they're sharing with me like, hey, here's where I'm at, here's where the shop's at. I like look it up on Google Maps to try and get an yep. understanding yep. of what the place is like. And man, that's a pretty area he's in. Oh yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's a really yeah. nice spot. But so we, you know, sixteen thousand shops. So like, so you guys have that's currently have two twenty five, two fifty. So yeah. if ten percent of your shops find management training, 
you're talking about 25,000 shops. If you have 10% of 16, you have 1,600, which chances are... Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. There are in Canada, like between, because I have, I have no Canadian shops that use Rick, who was just here. They use Cecil. You know, these are all people that I collaborate with in camp, right? Um, so it's there, but the... I think part of it is just lack of momentum because lack of lack of bodies and size, I think. And then because we don't have the amount of money from the bodies, right, we don't have that. The associations don't have that. But I got to tell you, well, going into any negativity, because we talked about this earlier about how do we stay positive in this industry, the associations of Canada have been revitalized. There are new directors in place. The old guard is gone. Uh, we had a thing called Canada Night here on Tuesday. I saw more Canadians here than, than I see, like in the industry, than I see all year because it's you can fly to Vegas from anywhere in Canada. Yeah, easier than you can fly anywhere in Canada. <laughs> like seriously, cost wise, crazy. I can fly from anywhere in Canada to Vegas for like four hundred return. My town, which is a forty-five minute flight from Vancouver, it's four hundred return on any given day, an hour flight. That's crazy. Right? Because we don't have the volume of people. Right? Well, so I, uh, I right? talked to Jeff about uh, his flights, and he could fly out of, I think he said, Ontario. I, I don't know. Toronto. Toronto. But he said that instead of doing that, he said it's cheaper and easier to drive across the border and Go fly to Buffalo out of, yeah, or Rochester. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. He said way easier. Yeah. Way well, we easier. Have, our airports all have 20% more landing taxes than your airport's. It, 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 we can go on and on and on, right? Which is not the point. The point is, is it's getting better. You guys are helping the conversation. I think we'll keep talking. We'll keep talking to associations, shops, yeah. the WDs, and start talking about getting some stuff going together. Um, uh, you know, I do a thing with, uh, you met Andrew Ross, Indie Garage, Jobber Nation. Yeah, yeah. Um, pub, great publisher. That's who I write for. Uh, we do a, a, I do a monthly podcast with him. He does a weekly podcast with industry people in Canada. I, I told Andrew when he, he walked up, I said, I'm cheating on you with him, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> we, had a, we had a little bit of a laugh. But Andrew gets it. Andrew gets that, yeah. that we're, we're all trying to change the industry, right? So um, 
But I appreciate you guys' interest. And Jeff, and, and one of these days I should meet the guy. Like next time I'm in his area or whatever. Or, yeah. Um, you know, hey, man, he's really excited about that concept. And, yeah. and maybe it's that you make it to AST next year. We're trying to get well, Jeff and, here next year. Yeah. And the other thing is, is you guys have heard the term, you know, that person's very provincial. Mm-hmm. Right, small towny or whatever. Well, our states are called provinces. We don't have right, right provinces, and we tend to because we're so big. We tend to be provincial, not because we don't know better, but because it's a ten-hour drive or a five hundred-dollar yeah. flight to go somewhere, and so we just sort of stay in our provinces, right? So we're finally getting associations talking to each other across the country, right? You know, um, we anyways. we talked to Peter and Costa, and and we we're talking about doing another podcast with them, the guys from Australia, and they're like half of our population is like all the way around the outside of Australia, yeah. right? Like it's all on the coastline, and yeah. and the middle of Australia is just this big open area. That's what I envision when you're talking about this well, is that it's just well Canada. So so we're at the 49th parallel, right? Right. That's our border with you guys. I mean, there's some ripples and valleys and some changes there. 95% of us live within 100 miles of that border. That's pretty crazy. Right? No, it makes perfect sense. It's, like it's cold <laughs> if you go further north. <laughs> right? The elk get mean. They attack the people. grizzlies and the elk and the, <laughs> the, you know, and the rest elk. of it, right? Like <laughs> I, This dude just wouldn't survive. I don't know how you survive that far north. I don't know, okay. man. You guys got to come to our cities. We're Vancouver's very cosmopolitan. <laughs> We have opera and ballet, and we have a football oh, team. Oh, he would definitely do the ballet. That's where he would be. But that's like saying, you know, Kansas City has opera and ballet, too. But is it the same? It's like, <laughs> but, it, it, you know, like we have casinos. I'm sure you guys have casinos. Yeah, yeah, but it's do. not Vegas casino. No, no. It's, yeah. Anyways. They're nice and clean so and I think, icky. I think the topic we wanted to talk about was, so you want to start a shop. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and you said you're doing a little bit of a paper or an article on this. Yeah, these? and it, and and after we talked just a day or two ago, my brain went in a slightly different way to calculate it, and I think I got it all memorized here, because I'm watching that one group talk about, you know, I want to become a shop owner, and, and I have questions, and and then I see all these people asking questions about, you know, what's the cheapest software, or what's yeah. the best of this, or what's the best of that. And there's there's some good answers. There's people saying it's not about the price, it's about the value, it's about what you get, it's about support. And then there's also the race to the bottom. I mean, yeah. that's how these groups are, right, in, in terms of price. Yeah. Um, you know, and there is some good advice, and there's some questionable advice going on there, and that's fine. I mean, that's it's not intended to be a, you know, registered professional association or anything like that. Right. But I'm concerned that... These young, generally younger people are asking the wrong questions. Yeah. And I'm really worried. And, and I know that there is a whole raft of young people that's tried to start a shop and went broke. And we are not hearing all of those stories, the pain of that. And I would like to speak into preventing that pain if possible. You know, we, we've talked a little bit here and there. And we've, we've covered a little bit of this subject. And we really upset some people. We had some people get mad at us. The the video about starting a shop, right? The the guy with Lucky, remember that Lucky's Garage? Okay. And and we got comments, and they were saying, "Well, I, I did it with less than that." Because one of the things we were saying is like, you you need some capital before oh, you start yeah. a shop. You yeah, need to have some money. Have and everybody says, money. "Oh no, no, I started with no money at all. I started with nothing. I just I just went out and rent a shop and I started." And I'm like, the point is not that you can't. 
But should you? Because it can be dangerous, right? Well, like in the yeah. long run. So I was teaching. I don't teach technology. I'm so far out of it. But I do teach a concept in one of my classes about the value, understanding the value of what you're presenting as an advisor. Okay, yeah. So transmission services. Yeah. Right. Why do we do them? Well, I did them because of color and condition my whole career till I learned, because I'm not a licensed tech. I got into this from the service station side of things. Yeah. Do I know how to fix things that I, I've worked on almost everything that moves in my career? But um, anyways, I didn't know about the, the, so transmission fluid has anti-foaming agents in it. Not changing it because it's dirty. You're changing it when it's before it's dirty because those anti-foaming agents wear out. That's what helps cool the transmission because right. bubbly fluid doesn't transfer heat. Right. Anyways, right. Without going too deep into that, um, you know, somebody That's says, a well, good point. You should right? change transmission fluid, folks. <laughs> Anyways, so I had somebody respond. I, I drove my Chevy S10 for 500,000 kilometers. Do the math for the Americans. <laughs> Divided by 1.6 and you're good. Um, and uh, <laughs> See, Dutch, it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, this is a kilometer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, somebody, somebody that I bumped into here was on a tread, treadmill at their hotel that was in kilometers, and they were like, this is just way too slow. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I think it was Jeff telling me, and, and he said, what, what we've ran into, and, and somebody else has told me this recently, but that where they, the states where they've legalized pot, and, and Jeff said, oh, well, they did that a long time ago. And but the guy's telling the story about, like, why it's such a big deal for them when it comes to the cars and the things that they have to do with their clients and how it changes things. And I, and Jeff said, oh, yeah, you're going to talk about how they, they change their speedometer to mile per hour instead of kilometers, aren't you, and couldn't get it back. He's like, no, they changed it from miles per hour to, to kilometers. And so he's pointing out that, like, these stoners are getting in their cars and they push buttons and they can't figure out how to get back to a, the proper readings. Yeah. So they, they're absolutely freaking out. And I'm like, Seriously, it, ha it correlates with the I legalization of marijuana. Think, I didn't even think of that because yeah, my truck, my truck has a button that goes everything from metric to right. Yeah, it changes it right. Well, so, evidently, evidently, a bunch of people as soon as they legalize marijuana have been pushing push that, that button, button and, it, and they can't figure <laughs> out how to go back. That's crazy. Anyways, so I had a guy in class. I drove my Chevy S10 five hundred thousand kilometers, you know, three hundred fifty thousand miles, and I never changed the fluid. I don't believe in changing that stuff. Yeah. And I, I was kind of taken a bit off guard, right? Like, how do I answer that? Because I was going to say, well, yeah, you win the odd time. And then in the hallway at the break, an older gentleman said to this young fella, um, I had a grandfather that smoked since he was nine years old, and he died at 112. And that's all the gentleman said. You guys get the point. Yeah. yeah. There are people who have smoked since they were eight and lived to 112. Yeah. We also know how many people... Don't Did make not. it past Most 45. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So the whole point with the transmission thing. So now the whole point to your listeners is I don't want to wreck somebody's entrepreneurial dream because that may be why they were mad. It's like yeah. you were telling them you can't do this. Yeah, da, for sure. Da, 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 right. So you guys, you guys know the whole thing about the male brain doesn't fully develop till like 26. So that frontal a lot of bad decisions being made by young yeah. men, right? Yeah, of course. One of my clients said that his, the brain fairy took his son's brain away when he was 14, and he just turned 28, and she brought it back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I so, can see that. So, so th this is an old guy talking to young people listening, right? Um, I, I bet you if, if it was a young female looking at starting her own shop, I bet you she's going to do what I'm going to talk about. Okay. I guarantee you she's going to, because generally she's watching the money at home anyways. Yeah. Right? 
So, can we start in a little bit of this? Sure, dig in. Okay, I don't want to break anybody's entrepreneurial dream, but folks, if you didn't own a shop, you would have a job because you got to pay your bills. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, let's talk about a $60,000 take-home salary, pre-tax, all right? Some marketplaces, that's decent. Some marketplaces, that's a little low. Some marketplaces, that's pretty rich, right? But let's go with a $60,000. Now, when I say that, another image comes to my mind. I'm sitting on a flight home. This is pre-COVID. And a flight, sitting beside a flight attendant. And she was a career flight attendant with, with our national area, with Air Canada. Um, they get paid fairly well with that airline. And what do you do? What do I? She was deadheading home and, and chatting a little bit. And she said, well, my husband's a man. Hey, everyone. It's Lucas. I'm sorry to jump in, but I thought it was important to come and say this. You know, I'm often asked, why do we always talk about Kim and Brian Walker and shop marketing pros on the show? It's because we genuinely believe in their product. Why do I use them for my own marketing? In fact, they're building me a new website right now. It's not cookie cutter. I kept getting on Facebook and every shop looked the exact same. I didn't want to be that. And it's not just that. It's that they're part of your team. When you hire them to do your marketing, they get to know you. They know what you believe. They know what you say and they know why you do what you do. And they share that with your clients. That's huge. And beyond all of that, probably the most important factor in all of this is they stand behind their work. So don't wait. Go today and get your free marketing analysis from Shop Marketing Pros. They're genuinely our friends and they're genuinely here to help shop owners have a better life. Click on the link in the show notes for your free marketing analysis today. That's right. It's free. doesn't cost you a dime. Mechanic. As I start talking a little bit of what I did. You know, works out of our house, has two bays, and drives are insane. And I said, so does he charge? She says, no, I support the family. Ah. Uh. So now you, you start thinking about how many technicians' wives. And again, I'm trying to avoid the gender stereotype and get more women owning shops. I've met some wonderful, like I met Kathleen yeah. that here, women that own shops. And I of think course. they do a phenomenal job. Um, you think of the number of women who are nurses, Lawyers, doctors, accountants, flight attendants, you know, uh, admin people, school teachers and principals who are the, the main breadwinner while this technician's figuring his hoop out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'm also looking at the pain that they're putting their family through, not just their own entrepreneurial dream. Right? So some, some cautions. So, okay. So you need 60000 So let's do it. There's different angles of doing so. I'm going to go it from the cost of a technician. So usually it's a technician opening a shop, right? Yeah. So that translates into $30 an hour. Okay. All right. So then technicians are out there going, well, if I charge 45, you know, I can take home 30 and I'm going to be good. Well, no, let's talk about the gross profit on service. You guys, do you guys know my whole thing on that? I don't use the word labor anymore. Okay. What do you use? Okay. I use the word service. Okay. I have service rate. We charge for service. It's service in parts. It's not labor in parts. A good friend of mine, Mark, uh, says labor has a negative connotation to the consumer. It's always something that they had to pay for. We're going to charge for service. We're going to offer service, and we're going to charge for service. I like right? that. I like right? That. So engineers did a whole video on it at Apex. I edited the thing. Oh, so I, did, I did talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we know all about remember? that. I, I, he has a better memory than you, apparently. <laughs> Clearly. But I'm, I, look, he doesn't talk to anybody. He's an introvert, <laughs> right? He's yeah. really a terrible human being all in all. I, mean, he's just <laughs> well, I don't know why you guys beat up on him. I, I saw quite a nice guy in his course, unless Thank it was you. an act. Thank you. See, I was nice that and was, everything, and he was like, that was he was act. like linear, and and he was like organized, and his thoughts were came out, and 
So Lucas, I don't know why you always beat him up. My was, my uh, clearly that was a, that was my, a show. That the, was the format on my PowerPoint got wonky. I should have paid attention to the email they sent out, and they're like, "Hey, it's going to come out looking like this. Make sure it's formatted properly." And I'm like, "Whatever." We none of us none of us knew. You just you knew. What do you mean? You knew that the format was wrong. We didn't. In oh, the audience. I pointed it out several times because it, it was driving me nuts. I know. It was, cra- it was driving me crazy. By the way, as what a was speaker, different about it? I don't know. I don't know. It's it just like the instead of like the 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 word didn't fit into the box, and so they slid the the end letters at the bottom. Oh, there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah. I shouldn't have pointed it out. You're right. I shouldn't have said but, anything. But, I would have gone with it. As but, a speaker who has had that experience with my stuff, yeah. you can't help yourself but yeah, point it out like, because it's just it's just driving you mad, right? Yeah. So, anyways, so let's go with. A 70% gross profit on service, mm-hmm. right? Is what we're looking for, which means that you have to charge $100 an hour for your services. So I want to ask because I want to, I want to be the devil's advocate sure. here because a lot of the, sh- a lot of these young guys coming in say, well, but I'm trying to get my leg in the door. I'm trying to get my foot in the door. And if I, if I do that, nobody's going to come to me. Right is what they say. I've, I've got a really good friend of mine, and he owns like a motorcycle and and small ATV <clears> repair <throat> deal. And he goes and he picks up the car and he does all this stuff. I've been telling him for months, dude, you need to be charging one hundred twenty, hundred thirty dollars an hour because, like, you, you've got vehicle expense. You're traveling all over the place. You're not charging for the hours that you're traveling, and you're charging sixty bucks an hour. Yeah, I'm like, dude, you're not making any money. You're not taking anything home. He says, yeah, but I won't have any business. So what do you say to them? That's probably one of the hardest things to reply to until you're actually on the other side of that experience. So I've been there when I was young as well. Yeah, me too. Okay, but so let me, let me address that from a couple of angles. Um, when you open up and you feel like you need to get the foot in the door, so you start off with a $60, $65, $70 rate without knowing it because you don't understand and you don't see the bigger picture, you begin to attract people who are looking for the lowest price. And that's a really common conversation in, in, in all yeah. of our circles, right? Yeah. You attract the wrong clientele. Now, we tend to use some really negative language around bottom feeder and things like that, and I want to avoid that. I talk about people that are financially challenged, legitimately financially challenged, either no fault of their own, which many of them is no fault of their own, and or whatever, some pure lifestyle choices or whatever. Um, And then there's people who are what I call pathologically frugal. Yeah. That's That's my professional word for cheap. Tight as yep. bark on a tree. <laughs> yep. Okay. So we have that bunch that are looking for that deal. Then you have people who see the new shop open up and they go, I'm going to go pick on this kid. Yeah. I'm going to go in and say, hey, listen, if I bring my three trucks in, can you give me a deal and blah, blah, blah. And the shop owner's like, eyeballs get big and oh my goodness, I'm going to be okay. All right. Yeah. Because they're coming at it from a technician point of view of I make this much money and I take home this. If I do that, I'll take home that. They're not thinking of it as a business. Mm-hmm. Right. They haven't done their research. Right, they haven't done what what are labor rates in town. So if I if I'm I don't care how big or how small, check your marketplace yeah. out and go. Okay, so what's what are people doing? So I got two guys that are forty five, I got a guy at seventy, I got three aftermarket shops that are one hundred and ten, and I got the new car dealers that running at one thirty five or one forty. Okay, so what kind of cars are they working on? Go spy on them. Go sit across from them. What kind of cars are they working on? Yeah, right. You know some of the pain I hear on these chat these chats. You know, I took this truck in for this and they wanted that. And it's like, dude, uh, none of my clients work on anything older than. I mean, that's another conversation, right? Yeah. So if they would have done their research, they would have realized, oh, there's a range. But 
oh my goodness, we can go down a million rabbit holes here. But here's the other thought process. Those people are ripping their customers off. Yep, I hear it all the time. All the time. That's a ripoff, right? Yeah. And then I try to use the analogy with the restaurant. I said, so what's your favorite burger place? And they'll say, right? I said, have you ever gone for a really expensive steak dinner? Well, no, because those places are a ripoff. Uh, yeah, but they're always full. In fact, during recessions, the good restaurants are always still busy. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because the people that have the money to go to restaurants haven't been hurt by the recession. Yeah, right? absolutely. So a lot of it is a mindset of, uh, and again, I want to be positive. I want to be kind. But if you come from a, a mindset of not having a lot of money, you're going to attract people who don't have a lot of money and you're not going to be successful. You can, you can attract the middle person. You don't have to attract the wealthier, the people yeah. with a lot of cash flow, but you can attract the average person who's willing to pay that. So that's the other part, right? So it's a, that's a really hard one to answer. Did I, did I get, do it some justice, right, to help for people sure. understand? Like they have to research what's going on in the marketplace. Yeah, for sure. If the whole marketplace is capped out at 95 with somebody at 75 and somebody at 45 and so okay, maybe 65 or 70 might be your, your place, your, your sweet spot in the middle. But... I mean, one of my clients is in an industrial mall. That's what he called them. There's 12 shops in this place, yeah. all ranging from 45 to 175. Yeah. And his diagrates, his diagrate, Ryan's diagrate is like 200. Right. And he's not in pain. He's not crying. He's busy as he needs to be. Yeah. Because each it, of those shops is attracting who they attract. Well, and I mean, one of the big one of the big things that always comes up is that that in a lot of cases they will say, um, "Well, I, I want to be busy and I want to get cars in the door." And and you'll pay attention to the shops that say, "I'm three weeks out, I'm four weeks out." And if you start asking questions, you find out they've got a really low labor rate. Yeah. They're not charging much for parts, but they're not making any money, and yeah. they're fighting and they're clawing, and they're every day is it's, a is a, a drag, drag, man. Yeah. And they're fighting just to get enough money to pay the bills. When you see the sh- the other shop that says I'm a week out, his guys are working on three cars a day, right? They're not killing themselves, so they're yeah. not worn out. He's yeah. not going through texts like crazy. He's not going through advisors like crazy. We're not working on a ton of cars. We're just fixing the cars that are in the shop, and we're making enough money to survive. Yeah. And so that's. It, it, it's been worn like a badge of honor. Oh, I'm three weeks out. Yeah. I'm three weeks out. Dude, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Have you guys heard my sushi analogy? Huh? Okay, so you could buy sushi in service stations. Right? <laughs> a little roll of six yeah. for two ninety nine. David, would you I, do that? I don't think I would. Would you eat gas station sushi? Not gas station sushi. I got it from the grocery store, though. Oh, yeah. I've, 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 I've had grocery store sushi. It's okay. But there's a restaurant in Tokyo, that only six concierges at six high-end hotels know the location of. And you have to know these concierges. And it's usually people like Obama ate there. <laughs> right. Uh, that kind of thing. They have 10 tables. It's a chef's table. You show up and you just sit down and the sake comes out and they just serve you for the evening. And you leave with a bill converted to U.S. around $1,000. Right. He's got 10 tables. And I always tell people, who's right? Churning out $1,000 worth of sushi in a gas station or churning out $10,000 of sushi in a high-end Tokyo restaurant? Who do you want to be? I'm not going to judge you. Who do you want to be? Do I have a bias? Do I have a preference? I don't lean, you know, I wouldn't have a, you know, that's a little high-end, right? Yeah. But I, choose, your, choose your, it's your, you're the entrepreneur. 
where do you want to be in this? Do you want to be turning cars over for three, like every day? Or do you want to slow it down, have that different clientele, a different type of a vehicle, people that want to invest in, right? So that's another analogy I use with people. I don't want to make people wrong in my teaching my podcast. I will always admit my bias because my whole career started off in that world, service station. Yeah. Car count, 300 a day, no, no appointment book. First come, first serve. Guys, yeesh. There's not enough bourbon. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll drive you crazy. It will drive right? you crazy. And I, you know, I've been on this big Seth Godin kick. I'm, David's about tired of it. But, you know, in, in one of the videos that I've been watching, he's talking about marketing. And he's talking about, you know, when, when Henry Ford came out and he said, you can have a car that's any color you want it to be as long as it's black. Yeah. Right. Because the paint dries faster and this is what we do. And, and that is not today's consumer. Right, they won't tolerate that. But but there is a unique consumer for every product, and if we find our consumer that wants the product that we have, and we tailor our product around them and build our product to fit that consumer, it can be a really cool thing. Yeah. Well, one of my heroes qualified because there are some things about him I didn't like. Steve Jobs, Apple. He invented things that nobody knew they needed. <laughs> as soon as they touched them, they're like. Ooh, I like this, right? Yeah. So in our world, the driving public, there's a lot of things they don't know they want until they experience it. So for example, we've moved to a small community. There's some nice shops by nice people. They don't do it the way I train, so it's a little I'm a little edgy. But where I used to live in a big city, pick up my vehicle. I'm busy on Zoom and meetings, right? Talk about what, you know, authorization digitally about what we're going to be looking at today. Send me a digital inspection. In one of my breaks, I take a look. I look at the estimate. I, I message back. We interact about the process. They finish it off. They deliver it to me. Send me the bill. I pay on my phone all throughout my day. There's people out there dying for that experience. Yeah. But they don't know how to ask for it because they've never experienced it. They don't actually know that people actually do that. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Um, we were, my course, the last hotel that I taught my course at, the, my three of my, my students were staying at the hotel and at breakfast, the server said, Hey, what are you guys here for? Well, we're taking this course with Murray and, and we're in an automotive shop and it's, it's about great client care and great customer service. And, and she says, automotive shops do that <laughs> care about customers. The woman had a mental breakdown under thinking that shops were actually out there taking training to get better. Right. She That's thought crazy. that we were just a bunch of whatever. Right. Like, Neanderthals taking their money, right? That's David. She was impressed. She was impressed, right? Anyways, I got to get back to our numbers. So at a 70% gross profit, $30 an hour, $100, that's a $200,000 in sales for the year. Okay, so now you start, okay, so what is that a month? Divide 200,000 by 12, that's what I got to do a month, all right? Generally, 50-50 parts in service, so now we're at 400,000 to do that. Yep. Now divide that by the number of cars, that you might think might come in, all right? So I, I did the math on a $400 average work order, which is not great. It's better than the average in the industry, but it's okay. Yeah, right? the average is what, 350 right now? Well, can I have really recent numbers for Canada. New car dealers are 387, um, and aftermarket is 275. I guess it really Holy sucks. Cow. And the dealers are taking more and more of it in Canada than ever. That's crazy. Yeah, right? You know, my clients are all running. Depends on the market because service rates will affect it. You have an area where the a good rate's one twenty, and another area where a good rate's one seventy. You're gonna have a disparity. But I got people. I I think my top thirty percent of my clients are all nine hundred and above. Yeah. Right. 
I, I want to say right now I'm 895 or right yeah, at right. And I also track new customer count and I track customer retention. And some of these shops that say I would lose all my customers or I, I have to get my foot in the door or whatever, these are people that are doing the average work order size and are gaining 60, one guy, Bruce, 60 new clients a month. Holy cow. And I have an app that I use to measure active customers. So I, you know, because shops lose customers or clients. Yeah. So I'm measuring, is he staying healthy? And he's staying healthy. And I'm asking him, what's your biggest source? I mean, he does the traditional marketing, like the SEO stuff and socials yeah. and stuff. But he said, almost everybody's word of mouth. We hear that you guys do good work. We hear that, you know, we want, can we keep this car longer? We've been thinking about replacing it, but, you know, yeah. interest rates and cars, you know, can you help us catch this up? Yeah. The last shop they were at didn't all change and left two grand on that car, go at the door, right? Yeah. That's that piece. That's what my, my mentor back in the day, Bob O'Connor, got my brain around is what I was leaving going out the door, right? Right. So let's go back to the 400,000, divide that by 88 invoices. Okay. So now I need 88 cars a month. Divide that by the number of days. I need this many cars a month. Okay, so now how do I get cars to come in to fill that void, right? Yeah. Um, of course, everybody starts with friends, family, and, and church acquaintances, and then learn very quickly that these people all want a deal. Exactly. Right? They're the and, worst clients you can the, have. And they're the first ones to accuse yeah. you of making money off their back or ripping yeah. you off, right? Yeah. So then they all... You and they create, they create a mindset. A mindset. That that is what other people think. Yeah. And, right? and because they expected that from Nailed you. it. Nailed it. Yeah. You start your business and your whole experience is with people who want a deal. You don't understand that there's people out there that never ask for a deal because they didn't actually know. I, I did a consulting project for a parts company with a, a municipality. Like, mm-hmm. So large cities will have their own shops. Right? Yeah, fleet and shop. Yeah. Fleet shop, right? And this parts company was going to go in and, and put a parts room in for them. And they brought in. The parts company, they brought me as a systems person, and they brought some uh, environmental engineers in. Okay. Everything got to be run through the environmental people, yep. all right? And I had lunch with these guys every every other day. Like, and this is like a 10-day project, right? And I said, hey, where do you guys take your cars? New car dealer. Yeah. And, you know, what do I do? I talk about, you know, aftermarket and emotional bank accounts and people. And the, and they, the two of them looked at me and said, you can ask for a discount at the shop <laughs> they were like so confused yeah I, they said it never occurred to us at the dealer to ask for it it's what the bill is yeah and then i had an insight i said so gentlemen as engineers when you send somebody a bill you expect it to be paid and they said yeah do you give estimates no it just takes what it takes yeah so yeah. their world they just pay their bills as engineers, I, so they just pay their bills at the dealership. When, when I was building the shop, I dealt with that, right? I dealt with that with the landscapers. I dealt with that with the the, the um, construction workers. I dealt with that with the electricians, the plumbers, everybody else. And they, they would say, well, how can I give you a – like, I don't know, right? I can give you something rough, but, I mean, it's going to change. There's yeah. no way to know what the bill is going to be. Yeah. And so – it. You don't ask for a discount because you're not going to get one, yeah. right? It wouldn't matter if you did. That's yeah. not how this works. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, do you go to McDonald's and ask for a discount? Do you go to Walmart and ask for a discount? I mean, it, David does. He goes and takes a receipt in and says, hey, Target does it for this. Can you price match no, this? No, no. I avoid that. Is he a pathologically frugal guy? No, 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 no. No. I, I don't. I wouldn't have told that lady at dinner last night that she was supposed to only do one drink per I wouldn't have said anything. I just won't go back. 
that happens a lot. Yeah. yeah. That happens in shops. People just don't go back. Yeah. So let's go back to the 200000 in service sales. So I've taken 60000 out. Well, I need a building. Okay, so 4000 a month. Mm-hmm. Seems like a number I hear pretty commonly even in smaller communities. So let's just round that to fifty thousand dollars. So now of my two hundred thousand, I've taken sixty. Another fifty. That's one ten. I now have ninety. Can I realistically bill out a hundred dollars an hour for eight hours a day as a new shop? Mm. No. Mm-mm. The industry average in Canada is four two to four three. I've heard some numbers down here about five three per tech. I've actually worked with, and here's the thing: entrepreneurs listening, I have worked with. Three people that started off as a one-man show, right? And they now have multiple bays, multiple techs. They've grown the whole thing, so they did it, Yeah. right? Started on a shoestring. Um, but, I mean, they had coaching almost the yeah. day they opened, Yeah. right? Um, the one guy, no, he was about a year in, in before, but his brother had had coaching, so he saw all of his brother's stuff in another part of the country, um, but we did the math on, on him that if he worked eight hours a day, didn't work after hours, the best he could do by himself, the very best was 5.3 because he was answering the phones. He yeah. was dealing with everything else, right? And that's pushing it. I think and that's, that's, oh, he, this is, this is pushing it. I'm going to yeah. say 3.8 to four. Right? Yeah. So how do they, how do they then take enough money home to pay their bills? They're working 12, 14 hours a day, which you hear in all of those threads, right? People yeah. talking about the pain of that. So in reality, who's the next person you hire? Because that's the next question, right? Do I hire another tech? Da, 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 da. And in my case, my advice would be, if you are a good technician and you are a good producer, right, from your background and your experience, then you hire a service advisor to do all the rest so that you can actually bill out. So now let's take a, so we have 110 left. Now let's take another 50,000 off of that, right? Yeah. Now we're down to 60,000. Now we divide 60,000, so that's 5,000 a month left over. Now I'm going to have software, 1,000 a month. I'm going to have insurance, 1,000 a month. I'm going to have uh, marketing, 1,000 a month. Never mind my, my benefits to my staff, 1,000 a month. I'd lead that 5,000 up in a, in a heartbeat. Yeah. All right. So the questions that these people are asking, who do you use for insurance or how do I get cheaper insurance? They're, they're reasonable questions, but step back a little bit and go, have you built a small... And I'm not even talking about the business plans the way banks do it. Those are all BS. Right. They're just all smoke and mirrors. You guys know what I'm talking about with oh, yeah. bank, bank business. You know, I expect act, you know, foot traffic to be this and road traffic to be this. And they're planning to build a new stadium 17 years from now. And I believe all of that will affect my business. And I want to borrow a, a half a million dollars. And the bank may or may not give it to you. I'm just talking about just doing what I'm saying is, yeah. what do I want to take home? A financial plan. What, what's what's my, my, my rent, my occupancy cost going to be? What, what are the different things I'm going to need to run my business before I start? And they're going to shock the pants out of themselves how fast it all adds up. But but you know what keeps happening is is that they don't know what those things are, right? right. Because you've never done it, so you don't know what exactly. those numbers are. You don't know what's coming. Yeah. And and the fear that we have is that they go out and they start something and they say and and David even advocated for this with a mobile guy a while back. Well, I don't need insurance, right? Because, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And I don't really need workman's comp because it's just me right now. And I don't need and I don't need and I don't need or I'm going to buy the cheapest insurance possible. I will never forget a conversation I had with my insurance agent once. He came in and we were talking about it and it was when I learned the difference between an aggregate and a cumulative uh limit on insurance, right? And all of a sudden I'm like 
uh, he's like, what? I see the look in your face. And I'm like, dude, I've, I've got like 20 cars sitting out here and they're $40,000 a piece. And he's like, yeah, well, first of all, it's only going to cover the first car that was damaged. It's not going to cover the others. If somebody runs into it, somebody wrecks and hits all the cars, like only one car's covered. The first car that was hit. Yeah. Uh, hold up now. Or, or what like, if well, there's want- seven in the building and the building goes up? Right. And and so I'm talking to him and he's like, yeah, he's like, man, you wanted the cheapest insurance. This is what the cheapest insurance is. This is what it does. Yeah. And so we start talking and we're talking about all the different aspects and, and uh, we talk about tools. And he's like, well, you know, so I've got you down for $30,000 of tools, like contents and, and et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. I'm like, dude, I've got millions of dollars of tools in this shop. Yeah. And he's like... We probably need to make some changes. Holy cow. I didn't think anything about that. Right. And so I was the whole time I was under this anticipation of something happened, I would be protected. No, I was nowhere near protected. Yeah. yeah. That's a scary thought. And so they're like, well, I just want it to be cheaper. I just want it to be cheaper. I just want you get what you pay for. That's all there is to it. And they, yeah. the insurance agent doesn't really care. It's not their problem. It's not yeah. their job to make sure we, we look at insurance like it's going to protect us. It's going to protect you to the level you pay for it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so I just think that that they don't know the questions to ask. They exactly. don't know what to be looking exactly. for. Yeah. Right? And you talked about equipment. Okay, so what? what you, chances are you don't own any of it. You don't own any lifts. You don't own any other stuff. You have your, your toolbox you just rolled out of your last shop you worked at. Right? Yeah. So now you're going to have to be leasing three or $4,000 a month, like your payments to lease to pay off that equipment. Right, so then you say, "Well, I have all my parts margin, so I have my two hundred thousand dollars in parts. I have two hundred thousand in profit from that." Well, okay, let's talk about, you know, a hundred thousand in, in leases or equipment purchases that first year to be able to do the job properly. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I can lie on my back, or, you know, like Lord help yeah. you. You, you were, you were complaining and bitching about how bad the conditions were at the last shop you worked at, and so you're going to take and, a job with way worse conditions, way worse conditions, and, and and do it for free, and do it for free, right? So I hope this is making sense to everybody listening, right? So just sit down and do some real rough, you know, piece of paper, a little spreadsheet, whatever you're good at, and just write out and ask questions. Like, ask, what does it all take to run a shop besides, right? So then there's the, the um, you know, if you do hire an employee, then there's the state and federal portion that you have to contribute to the taxes, mm-hmm. payroll taxes. And, um, you know, then there's remitting your, your state and federal sales taxes and whatever you guys got, right? And, and your, those, you know, is that money being set aside, right? You guys have promoted that Profit First book, I think. Uh, yeah. Mike McCallowitz, I, I think I'm saying it right. Yeah, so I've been, I, I can't say it Ever right. since you talked about that guy that was always popping the mic, I'm just like thinking to myself, how am I doing? No, you're good. You got the headphones on? You're yeah, good. I'm doing good. You're okay. doing good. Like, I don't want to be self-conscious and be that guy that, that you have to edit. Nah, you're good. All right, you're completely good. I'll, I'll avoid the I'll avoid the f bombs. Uh, no, well, that no, sounds boring. You got to just say earmuffs. You just got to say earmuffs before earmuffs, earmuffs kids, earmuffs. Awesome. Now you got to say a bad word because you said earmuffs. <laughs> <laughs> They're all going to be waiting for it, David. <laughs> Poop. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Anyways, um, this leads into another part of the conversation: is why why do you want to start your own shop? Okay. Like, sit down and ask yourself that question. Why? Right? Is it because I want to make more money? Is it because I want flexibility? Is it because I can do it better than my boss? Ask yourself the question. All right? I believe there's a common pattern 
where they don't think about it, but they don't get along with anybody. Yeah. Right? For whatever reason. Yep. They don't get along with their coworkers. They don't get along with their bosses. So they think they're going to open up their own shop. Now, think about this. If you haven't learned as a human being, as a young adult or an adult, to get along to some degree with, in a work environment, what kind of an owner are you going to be? Yeah. You don't know what good behavior looks like. You know, right? People keep asking me for leadership training. You know what? Leadership training is actually just listening, being kind. I mean, there's right. more. To, I do have some, Obviously. some leadership training stuff I do, but... At the end of the day, a lot of good leadership. You don't want you won't have those skills if you're gonna be, if you if your plan is to grow the company. How are you going to do that? You know, it's interesting that you say that because one of one of the things that I've really prescribed to in my own personal life is that if you want to lead people, you have to be going somewhere, right? And if you're going to be going somewhere, you can either be going on a personal agenda, or yeah. you can be leading which means you're taking them on a journey because people want to be on a journey. They don't want to be, you know, uh, in a job anymore. Right. Especially this next generation, because, you know, I've talked about the guys who worked for my parents who, you know, I really just want to make enough to sit at home and play video games. Right. I've talked about some of the people who say, I don't care what I make. It's my purpose in life that I'm trying to achieve. And I'm trying to figure out where that is. I'm trying to find somewhere that fits with that in my belief system. That's more important to me than money. Okay. And so if you're going to lead people, you have to be going on a journey. And if you're going on a journey, you have to know where you're going. You have to have some idea of what it is we're trying to accomplish, what it is we're trying to do. And the problem that I see is so many people show up and what do they say? I just want to start a shop. Why? Like you said, what are we trying to accomplish? Where are we trying to go? What is it that we're trying to do? Yeah. Because if we don't have that information, and one of the, you know, Rick was my coach for years and one of the hardest conversations, and I mean, dude, he drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled until I was so mad at him. <laughs> like, where in the hell are you going? I would give an answer. And he's like, no, that's stupid. And I'm like, and he's going to be mad because he didn't say it was stupid. But it, my point is. Well, he wasn't just as you thought his comment was. Right, I'm right. Def- hey, Rick, I'm defending you, bud. <laughs> but but my point is, is that that. The reasons I continued to give weren't really reasons. There were these basic thoughts about where we were and where I thought I was going. Yeah. And the problem was is that none of it was solidified. Yeah. And so in life, I was just kind of like meandering, doing mm-hmm. this thing, and I didn't have a vision of where I was going to yeah. go. I couldn't see it, smell it, taste yeah. it, hear it, yeah. right? And, and so every time something came my way, I would give up on it. And, you know, I, I, one of my favorite videos of all times, they talk about core values. He says, well, what is core? And he says, you know, if I were to say the coronary department in the hospital, because everybody said center. He said, you know, if you think of the coronary department oh, interesting. in a coronary procedure, he said the meaning of the word is heart. And he said, if you have a core belief, it is your heart. It is what you are. It is who you are. We talk about ethics, morals, and values, right? If those are inside and you build a business around what it is you truly believe, and that becomes your destination, where you're going, yeah. then we act on those beliefs, right? Yeah. Not on not on where we think we want to be tomorrow. And so by drilling down, I figured out what those core beliefs were, yeah. things I never thought about, yeah. things I never understood, and began to find this direction and, and this pathway yeah. that got me where I wanted to go. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I know a lot of shop owners, and we talked about it with a couple other guests. Is like, well, you, you, 
once you accomplish what you think your vision is. Yeah, how are we doing for time? We're, we're good. Yeah. And, and once you accomplish what your vision is and you yeah. say, well. So my wife and I use the term living with intention. Yeah. To, to describe what you just laid out, right? Yeah. Living with intention. It comes from the core, comes from the core values. And the thing that anybody listening going into business needs to understand is your clients or whoever comes to your door are going to feel your intentions. Yes. So if your intention is to fix cars, they'll go, you'll attract car fixers. You'll attract yeah. people who fix their own cars, but only bring you the stuff they can't figure out. If your intention is to just make money, people will read that all over your face and they won't come to you because they'll know that you're trying, they're trying, you're trying. But if your intention is to serve the person, yep. is to help them with their transportation, understanding the cost of the transportation, helping them make decisions about this thing they drive that they have no clue about, and your intention is to serve them, then all of a sudden you build this huge business because yep. the people understand what your intention is to serve that. The money always follows. The money always follows when that. And so then you don't have to worry about your 65 rate or your 45 rate and, and getting your foot in the door. Right. right? It, do, it, it does not matter. And, and, you know, one of the greatest quotes of all time was like, you know, I, I ask people all the time, and it's, it's in a video that I talk about, but he says, I, I ask people all the time what makes a great friend. And he said, all these people say, someone who accepts me as I am. And he said, that is such dangerous garbage to believe because <laughs> the dude at McDonald's accepts you as you are because he doesn't care anything about you. No. Well, it's the same with your consumer, right? If you don't care anything about them, they're just a number. It becomes a transactional process. I'm just here to fix yeah. your damn car, yeah. right? Yeah. And that is not what the majority of consumers want today. There are some that just want their car fixed, but... That's not exactly the client that I would want in my shop. That's not a client that's easy to deal with. That's not a client that's easy to work with. The research repeats itself over and over and over again. 55 to 60% of the driving public would like to have a relationship with their automotive service provider. Yeah, absolutely. And the service providers aren't offering it in some markets, right? So this brings you another topic. And you guys will take the heat. You'll probably pass some of it on to me. but No, I will take it. We're good at it. You got big shoulders. So I got, was asked in my first four or five years of coaching, who are the best shop owners or who are the easiest to coach or who are the ones that implement the fastest? Like, who do you, who, you know, what do you see as you're coaching people? You know, the new term these days is, who, you know, who are the most coachable, blah, 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 right? So I thought about it. And I thought, I went through my whole list of coaching clients and, and you know, and some of them I had to ask some questions to find yeah. out because I, I, I know some of them more personally than others. You know what I discovered? What's that? The technicians that came from families that sat down for dinner, didn't have to be every day, but sat down for dinner together as a family is one common thread. The second common thread is that their parents talked about their jobs and talked about the world and talked about life. Tended to be a little bit more of the professional end, right? Teachers, doctors, lawyers, accountants, stuff like that, right? But seems like when you're a human being, who gets interested in becoming a technician, right? You have the aptitude, you have the desire to fix cars or whatever. Yeah. It's an interest. Come from homes where people talked as a family and they talked. So it, it wasn't so much about the parents' education, but it was the fact that the, that the, they talked, they, they were taught critical thinking Yeah, is what I want to come to. So these people that said, we did it on 25 grand, I did it on my credit card, I did it on whatever, the ones that did do it, that won the lottery and didn't yeah. fail, 
I'm going to have a hunch. I'm going to throw it out there that I bet you they already had a bunch of critical thinking skills. Yeah. And they learned so much faster that the, the, the mistakes happened less often that took them that take the other shops down. Because we're yeah. all living in a world where we're adapting and making mistakes. I mean, yes. I made several today already. <laughs> yeah. Right? And it's just how impactful were those mistakes to everything going on in the business or into your life or whatever, right? So I'm just wondering hypothetically if that's a little bit of what's going on there. Is yep. what, what is your background, right? Do you have that? If you, you know, I, I have some great clients who I respect very highly, who are very intelligent, very good business people who have a 10th grade education because in Canada you can actually go from 10th grade into a program uh, which is a pre-apprenticeship program and then you finish the rest of your high school and you, you have your yeah. first year apprenticeship. So yeah, you get your 12th grade or your grade 12 as we call it in Canada um, but may, and, and more kids are getting it now than in the past. I, I work with people that have a 10th grade education but they've, they, they've, they've become learners. They, they, yeah. they've, they've realized that, you know what, I need to keep reading and learning and that kind of stuff like that. So if some of your listeners and some of the people in these threads that we read, you know, um, come from a background where they're, they're very good at fixing cars. I, don't get me wrong. I mean, this is not yeah. about intelligence because, you know, there's all kinds of intelligence out right. there. But the whole idea being is, is, is maybe read a few books, right? Uh, understand what critical thinking is and things like that. Right. I think it'll serve you well. I mean, so we've got some from very specific numbers to some very broad conceptual things, right? right. In terms of For sure. helping young people that are making decisions to go into business, right? I mean, the numbers are out there. Yeah. Both of our countries measure success of businesses. 80% of them fail in the first year. doesn't yep. matter what it is. Absolutely. And and if you don't have, and, and I think that's the reason I've always <clears> said, you know, if, if you don't have that 100,000 to put up, right? And and for me, it's not even necessarily about the fact that, that you need 100,000 to start the shop. It's that if you don't have 100,000 to lose... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, if you're not in a spot where you can afford to lose a little bit of money, so you need to really think about this exactly. before you jump in this. Yeah. And most of them are not in a spot to lose money. Most of them are in a spot to go into debt for that amount. Yeah. Because the banks, well, used to, maybe not as much now, used to give people at least some starting loans, right? I, You know, one of the scarier things that I see with these guys starting shops is they will go out and they will put all of this on a personal credit card. Mm -hmm. They will go out and they will take personal savings. They will go out and they will take personal loans to do this. And they say, well, it's too hard to get a business loan. Buddy, let me tell you something. The bank still wants that money back, even if that business fails. And so you can set yourself on a really rough 30 years. Uh, really rough, rough fifteen years. Really rough seven years. Yeah. If you do that, because now it's going to make everything in life. If, if you need credit, you want a credit card. You need flexibility. You want to buy a new car. It, taking a hit like that, if you have to go bankrupt, yeah. or if you even get behind on it, can take years to undo that damage. Yeah. I'm not big in using credit. Like I, I use the heck out of it. Everything I have is credit right now. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like I would not have the potential to have built the shop that I built. And, and like, I think back about how many times I could have made a stupid little mistake somewhere Yeah, and I would not be where I'm at right now. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've got to think about that moving forward. What's the yeah. course. So, so I've got one last topic that I think we can help some of these people with. Okay. Okay. Right now, one of my clients had two shops, sold one, to a technician slash advisor. Yeah. Just happened a few months ago. Right. Okay? Been with him. He's only been with him for four or five years. He was used, he was with another former client of mine 
Um, and uh, he wanted to expand and grow. The other shop was a bit too small for him. Okay. All right. I know of two more shops just this week where the tech, two, two senior techs are buying shares in the company. Okay. So are you a good technician? Can you put out reasonable work? Can you work together with your coworkers? Can yeah. you follow procedures? Can you work with an owner? Right. Do well at that. And then let's find these guys some owners that they can go work for. Owners with a vision to establish the next generation of owners because they need a succession plan, right? Yeah. And there and I know in the states there's a lot of consolidation happening, a lot of chains buying up shops. Canada, it's just tiny bit starting. Um, so there's not because there's not a lot of consolidation. Like the only buyers you're going to have succession plan is usually, you know, an employee. There is a bit of outside buying, but. Um, and so why don't we get some of these young people to think about getting better at getting a better job because we're looking for people. So getting a better job where they're at and starting to take home that 60, 70, 80, hundred thousand dollars a year, right? Playing nice, you know, finding a good shop to work at and then saying to the boss, Hey, listen, you know, I don't know much about business. I'd like to learn more about business. Yeah. You know, is there a chance of ever buying shares in this whole thing? And can we do a five-year plan, 10-year plan? You know, I'll go, to, I'll go to business college at night or whatever. Why don't we, why not buy shares into something that in 10 years is not a $400,000 shop? It's a $2 million a year shop that you yes. now own yep. because you've been and patient for 10 years and now you own it. You haven't taken hardly any risk yeah. because you're actually buying, you might put in a little bit, some of your own skin in the game for the first set of shares. But then you're buying the rest of the shares out of net profit. There's honestly, there's really no risk. I, I think so many of the ones who are wanting to do that, right? So many of the guys who want to start a shop are wanting to start a shop because they're disgruntled. They're what? Right? They're disgruntled. Yeah. They're upset. They're frustrated. They're mad about something that this owner has done or said or the way the shop ran yeah. or however it was. And in, in those cases, what I've found is usually they, they think they're alone in that, but usually the shop owner is also disgruntled with them, right? Yeah, a little frustrated yeah, with them. Exactly. And so I, what do you say to them? Because that, that opportunity can be off the table if that's the case. Well, so the, I, you hinted at it. Maybe they should talk. Right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. Um, if it is a one-way street and, and it is a bad owner... Do your research. Start finding out what is what does it look like to work at a good shop, right? Yeah. And 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 there's fear involved in making changes. I understand that, but take some risk there. Um, if you're if it's if it's a one way street the other way where you're disgruntled and grouchy old tech and the owner's trying to work with you, you know where did you get your attitude from? What trauma did you go through, or or what yeah. kind of personality do you have? Um, you know this this. So here's another thing that that I talk about, and again I'm I'm trying to avoid stereotypes, but it is a generalization. Um, Allen Test Products back in the day did a study on all their salespeople, who most of them were former technicians. Yeah. And they found that 52% of them had some form of dyslexia. Yeah. Now, this was in the late 90s. Yeah. I think I may have mentioned that to you. Yeah. And then more studies have been done with ADD and all that kind of stuff. And, and so a common thread is the brain wiring that makes you great at car repair because you visualize in pictures. You see the gears, yeah. right? You, you All that kind of thing also contribute to some of the other brain wiring that doesn't fit in our school system. And if a school system is a bad experience for you, you then come out of school with authority issues yeah. <laughs> and down the spiral we go. For sure. Right? For sure. So could we, everybody, take a big deep breath, right? 
Yeah. And could we meet together? Could we talk and look at the potential of these people and talk about that? And let's admit, let's admit that some of us are not going to be entrepreneurs. Some of us are not going to be business owners. I have three children. Yeah. One's not an owner, but he is in management of a business, right? My other two, I'm very proud of them, but they're, you know, in companies that they like and, and they're doing well, but they're never going to be the entrepreneur, right? Yeah. That's not their interest. They like to come home at when their job is done and be with their kid or, or have their other hobbies or other interests, right? Yeah. That's right. So we have to understand not everybody's going to be an airline pilot. Not everybody's going to be a chemist, right? And I think we have to help young people understand that, that maybe you're not cut out to be a shop owner just because everybody around you. I mean, with respect to the multi-shop owners around that are doing very well, there seems to be a culture down here of you're not cool unless you have more than one shop. And I'm kind of like, what's that all about? Yeah. Right? Yep. Only the cool kids have multiple shops. I, 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 Sorry, but why? Are you guys, de, you guys are de, smiling. Is that, am I picking up on a vibe? Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. It's a thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned the fact that everybody take a deep breath, right? We caught some flack over one of our last videos. And, and one of the things we said was, is, is like, Hey, just go find another shop. Just quit. Just move on. And they're like, Oh, it's not that easy. And you don't understand what I'm going through and you don't. And, and so what I would say is exactly what you said. What I'd say to those guys is take a deep breath, right? Th this is not about picking on text. This is, you know, and, and I, I commented on a thread the other day and it was about a timing belt. And I said, the, the idler failed. One of the pulleys failed after they did other repairs. They didn't do the idler repair. And I made the comment and I, I knew that it was going to go sideways when I made the comment, but I said, Hey, if, if you did not tell that client that every 90,000 miles they're su supposed to replace the timing belt and the idler pulleys, then in some way, sense, or form, you take a little bit of responsibility 100%. for this. 100%. And, oh, everybody got upset, and they said, how in the world could you say that? There is no way he calls that to fail. And I said, it has nothing to do with saying he caused it to fail. It has to do with taking ownership of the problem. And they said, why would he take ownership of a problem he didn't cause? And I said, I'm not talking about taking ownership in such a way, a legal manner or a, a manner where we're saying this was our fault. I'm saying if we acknowledge and say, what could I have done to make this different? What, what part of this do I own? Then guess what? You own the solution to the problem. Well, well I believe it's an agreed practice, a recommended practice that the idler is changed yeah. with the belt. Yep. The technician feels it, and it feels fine. The question that the technician, and then they don't call it because, well, it feels fine now. The question that the technician should ask themselves, number one, is why was it recommended? And is, is that's legitimate, first of yeah. all. But will it make it another 90,000 miles? No, it won't. So now my client's going to come back and need the idler because now maybe they hear a rattle before it jumps or whatever, right? right? So I'm with you on that. There is a legal and moral obligation to do it by well, the, the in, book. In the in this case though, they weren't they were not doing the timing belt. Oh, oh, they oh just I misunderstood. Okay, yeah, got they it. just didn't make a recommendation on their repair order that said, "Hey," or tell the client, "Hey," right. so, every ninety thousand miles. So and so people got upset at me because I was saying like, if you didn't make a recommendation for it. And so my point was is that if you if you make that recommendation, right? Guess what? Now all of a sudden it's a moot point, right? It doesn't matter if they're upset because as soon as they pick the car up, well, I'm sorry, but you declined the timing belt service. 
And everybody said, well, why Why do you believe that? Why would you say they should take ownership? I'm, I'm not saying dude should pay to put a motor in her car. I'm saying if we take ownership of that problem and say, how can I fix that internally? Yeah. How can I make sure that I protect myself? How can I make sure that doesn't happen again? And so what I have learned through that process and, and making some of the comments I make, and I make a lot of comments in the groups that are kind of like to spur that conversation or spur that thought. It's <laughs> not like everybody else's thought and try and get them to think outside the box yeah. a little bit. And so one of the things I'm always trying to think about is what what does ownership of a problem look like that for me? And I have watched so many people that have a serious, serious, seriously hard time with taking ownership of the of of what part of this problem do yeah. I own? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so if you watch them and you say something about that, and so a lot of technicians, and I can point it out, you can go look through the YouTube comments. You can see the technicians who don't want to take ownership of their part of the problem. Yeah. It's not to say that all the problem is them. It's not to say that they are the, the ones causing all of this. It's to say, yes, we know there are bad owners out there. We know that everything's not perfect in our industry. Right. What can you do to fix it for God's sakes? Right. Because as long as it's somebody else's problem, nothing's going to happen. Then nothing will ever change. And you're just a victim. Exactly. Yeah. But if you own the problem, guess what? Now I'm not the victim anymore. Yeah. Now I can do something about yeah, it. Exactly. And that just making that decision opens the human brain up yes. to problem solving. It's like saying, it's like if you're if you're suffering from depression and these kind of things and again being very respectful to people having gone through some stuff myself yeah being grateful first thing in the morning for a couple of things rewires your brain absolutely taking responsibility not being a victim rewires your brain and the next thing you know solutions begin to pop to mind yep. that you had never thought of before right i want to address this from two other angles one is go to a doctor for a blood test blood yeah. test indicates uh cholesterol indicates a uh, blood sugar issue and indicates a PSA prostate. Mm -hmm. Doctors really uncomfortable talking about prostate. So just talks about the blood sugar and the cholesterol. Could he just set himself up from a malpractice suit? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know that the same laws in court would apply to a shop mm -hmm. that that customer could actually have sued that shop? Yeah. Because you did not inform them professionally of yes. this is what the recommendation is. Now, I'm not about to go tell the driving public this because it's so bad out there. I don't want to create more problems for shops. It is our ethical and moral obligation to inspect, yes. identify, recommend, manufacturers recs, the whole bit. It yep. is not our job to sell it. Our job is to document the decision the client yep. made. Yep. And good advisors know how to help people with that decision. And then yep. sales come out of that. That's and, all. It's and, easy. And even if, right? So even if, and, and somebody mentioned this yesterday, going to court over something like that is a one in a million scenario. Exactly. Right? But it, it, for me, it's not about protecting myself necessarily from liability. It's about making our industry better. Yeah. It's about creating a better image of our industry, and that's part of what it's causes us after, to have a bad... Looking after, it's that doctor looking after me and caring about me. Yeah. It's looking after that person. I want that exactly. person, right? So one more thing. You talked about technicians not being able to take responsibility. I also see a, a segment of technicians not being able to make the call. They yeah. won't call it on a vehicle. They, they dodge it. They avoid it. But I've identified where that comes from. Okay. That actually is an ownership problem because a technician, start, new technician who's terrified yeah. of, you know, of, of offending customers, technician identifies brakes. And says, you know, we need brakes. And then the owner comes back and looks and says, well, no, that they still got another mill on them. I think we can probably get a few more weeks out of this. And the technician's like, oh, okay, boss. 
well, do that for six months. Technician is not going to call anything. They're yeah. going to go to the boss and say, boss, what do you think? Yeah, and because the, the boss is, is absolutely – the boss is afraid of making the call because he right. doesn't want to piss so the client off. So then he's taught the, his technicians not to make the call. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's all cause and effect, dudes. Amen. <laughs> Murray Voth, thank you for being hey, here, thanks, buddy. guys. Awesome being here. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.